Welcome to episode 271 of the More Than Just Code podcast. My name is Tim Mitchell and I am in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined once again by Hyman Lopez Jr. in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? And we also have Mark Rubin down in San Jose, California. Hello. All righty. So should we just jump in? Both feet? Sure. No looking back? All right. Let's do it. So the first thing we got is a, is a fact check. Um, Jody Kovitz is the founder of Move the Dial, which is what I talked about last week. And uh, it started a couple of years ago. I think she saw she had a couple of TED Talks that she's done, and of course, she's talked around Toronto and I think I talked about Elevate um, the Elevate uh, conference we had here a few months ago uh, she had a talk she actually spoke just before Chris Hadfield came on the stage so I got to see her talk before before Chris Hadfield so that's interesting somebody got like a ringtone there what was that uh, that was me uh, sorry I was testing my skills mode app oh okay I almost thought, it almost sounded like the beginning of a Rolling Stone song but I guess that was a scale right yeah yeah it yeah. sounds like the beginning of Painted Black doesn't it yeah, is it Painted Black yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, okay huh. so what what scale no, uh, do, 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 do. You know, the, the she comes in. Oh, rainbow, she's like a rainbow. She's like, she's a, rainbow. like a rainbow. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 So what? What scale is that? Yeah. I don't know. I'm gonna go out on a limb and say Mixolydian. Pentatonic? That's Mixolydian. Mixolydian, rather. Right yeah. Actually, I wasn't sure what page. I'm not sure what it was. So I gotta try. You have to hold it closer to the mic. Oh, no. Oh. Is that it? Yeah, that's what, that's it. Yeah. That's not it. No, the one before that one. Yeah, that's a Dorian. Yeah, Dorian, mode. Dorian scale. Oh, Dorian interesting. Mode. Interesting. All right. Not jazz minor. Anyway, all right, now that we've had our musical interlude, yep. we can move on to the, the follow up. <laughs> right. So yeah, we I think we talked about uh, uh, the announcement of um, si- is it called Sidecar, right? In in uh, iOS or Catalina, I guess that lets you use your iPad as a um, second screen for your Mac, and of course that Sherlocked the uh, folks over at Astropad uh, Studios who who produced a, a product which you talked about and it's been a pick a couple of times of, of mine called Luna Display, which lets me use my uh, my uh, uh, iPad as a second screen or actually a main screen for my for my Mac. Um, so I, so I can actually use the you know the touch interface, um, my pencil, and and have have the uh, the main Mac screen appear on my iPad. So it's sort of a remote workstation. So there's an article here by uh, one of the uh, dev- developers at uh, at Astropad, not not one of the owners or principals, about what it's what do you do when you get Sherlock by Apple. And um, got this uh, six lessons uh, that they learned the hard way by getting by getting uh, Sherlock here. Um, and t- so in the article it talks about uh, some of the things that they they had to go through to sort of you know uh, lick their wounds and and realize you know uh, that that their competitor was actually they thought Apple was a collaborator, but it turns out that they turned out to be a competitor in a sense. Um, and of course, they their solution is to diversify their their offerings. Sounds like they've got some some pretty good ideas. Go cross platform. Yeah. Uh, you know, have diversify your product line right from the beginning. Yeah. Well, they they still make money. They have the Astropad Studio product, which is what they started with, which lets you um, create a window onto your Mac. Uh, so I use it for Photoshop, for instance. Um, mm-hmm. I use the Astropad Studio, and then I can I can use my pencil as a almost like a, like a Cintiq to uh, to drive Photoshop, right? So which is nice, and they, that has helped them get through this rough curve, right? Yeah. Since June, one of them is lean into. Your 
your competitive advantages by showing off what differentiates you from Apple, which I think makes a lot of sense. You know, for Apple, unless this thing becomes a huge thing for and really takes off, then chances Mm -hmm. are, since if if your if this is your main focus, you're likely to put more effort and care and 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 uh, you know heart into it than Apple's got. Even though they might have a bigger team, Mm -hmm. uh, they're still you know they're a big team at a big company. They may be working on ten different things, and they they may not really have the uh, they may not be as vested in, in or focused, yeah, 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 in, yeah, in this thing. So you can you can maybe come up with some advantages to to beat them to the punch and and new features and things like that, and mm-hmm. convince your customers that yeah, you know, if your customers really care about this thing, then it's much better to go with someone who is is really devoted to that one thing than than right. the big company that's got their resources spread all over the place. By the way, the article is written by Savannah Reising. I should uh, give her a nod there. Um, yeah, it's interesting, and it leads us to the to the next story, which which I'm is going to introduce here, I think, right? Um, I pulled it out of the main part. Yeah. Um, so in terms of that diversification of what they can do and what the platform currently does not provide is now Luna Display can turn a Mac into a secondary display for your other Mac. Yeah. The most common one they're talking about here is like, you know, imagine using an old iMac that like, well, you know, maybe I don't really want to use it as a desktop machine anymore because it's kind of, you know, not up to snuff, but it's still pretty good for, as, you know, a beautiful monitor is what this is turning it into. Mm-hmm. Uh, seems like a sensible step for what the Luna yeah. Display folks are doing. I've always wanted wondered why you couldn't do that before. I mean, we've always been able to hook up uh, external monitors as extensions of our laptop screen. So why not? Yeah. Why not just plug another Mac in and do the same thing? I've always wondered that. Well, there there is a there's a line of iMacs. I have one underneath my desk here, actually, a 24 inch iMac mm-hmm. from a while back, where you you can use the HDMI port. Oh, you can. HDMI. Okay. Yeah, okay. and you can use it as a second display, and that's been a feature. But they, but Apple hasn't really included that in the late. I don't believe they included it in the, in the later versions of iMac. But mm-hmm. there was a period of time there where you could do that. So it's handy. So I've got this 24-inch Apple display right now, but I could just as easily use the uh, the other Mac as a as a 24-inch screen as well, right? With a big chin, of course, right? But what's good about this, I was wondering about this, was that uh, that does it support, what, what kind of Macs does it support? Because I've got all kinds of legacy Macs here, but any Mac that's running Mountain Lion uh, 10.8 or newer will work with, with this uh, product, right? So, which is good. Yeah, and, and chances are if you're running an older version of, of Mac OS on, on your machine, then that machine's probably probably doesn't have a good enough screen for you to care about wanting to do this anyway. Yeah, well, it won't be super retina. It won't be like a retina display, right? Because there's only I think only the later Macs have the retinas, right? Uh, since the the fancy iMac that they came out with a couple like, three years ago, right? Yeah. But it, like you know, but if you're doing things like video editing or podcast editing, you you have sometimes you have like a tool palette that you want to keep on a separate screen while you look at the video on the main screen. For instance, that's something that's pretty common. That's one of the reasons why people use uh, their iMacs too, or sorry, their iPads. Like because I think with Logic. Pro, you can have the controls on the iPad while you have the main, you know, the main um, tracks listed on the on the main screen. So this is sort of like a second control panel. That's that's pretty common in in post production work, right? To have a second display for that. And just a shout out to uh, the uh, the the uh, one of the founders of uh, AstroPad Studio, uh, Matt Rogue, was on Roundabout podcast about a year and a half ago. So if you're interested in hearing what his sort of story was, and we talked about Luna Display and Astro AstroPad studio with him back then so check that out so another quick hit here is just um apple has surpassed microsoft
Microsoft uh, as the world's most valuable company. I think they're they're playing back and forth a bit, right? Because this is wasn't weren't they just in wasn't Microsoft just uh, surpassing Apple fairly recently? Yeah, they, I, think? I think they just keep going back and forth. This isn't I don't think it's really news <laughs> to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's uh like it doesn't sound like a lot of money difference, but then you do the math like oh wait okay so one point zero six five trillion versus one point zero six three trillion, which sounds oh, like okay. pennies. But I would gladly yeah. take those many many pennies. Yeah, I'll take the difference. Thanks. Right, yeah. right. Interesting. But if you look at the stock charts, they're both sort of traveling upward, as as you like to see, right? I mean, Microsoft's had a bit of a rough period there too, because I mean, who are, I mean, other than this, when since the Surface came out, they were kind of trying to figure out where they're going. I mean, notwithstanding, they are still the biggest installed base of computers, I think, around the world, right? Yeah, and increasingly, a lot of their revenue is coming from the Azure services side of things. Oh, right, yeah. So they'll have a lot of you know good, pretty, steady, predictable growth, but um, they're not going to have, I think, the rather huge swings up or down with regard to uh, like seasonality for sales of Windows or devices and other things. I think uh, largely you'll see stuff for like, oh, look, you know, we signed another customer to use Azure as their, um, you know, as their cloud hosting provider. Yeah, I didn't put an article in here too, but I was reading something earlier the week about the fact that um, Apple stock is on the rise and it has gone up quite a bit um, based on positive predictions about iPhone 11 Pro, 11 and 11 Pro sales. Well, remember um, though that uh, earnings is coming up very soon and, oh, and, true, the, yeah. and the stock does tend to run up before earnings. Uh, okay. there's, there's an old adage that's uh, buy on the rumors, sell on the news. So oh, really? which, yeah, oh, yeah, it's famous, which means that, that people tend to, to buy when, you know, when, when things are, are predicted to be good uh, and the stock tends to go up before the big announcement. But after the announcement, uh, either things weren't as good as they expected or or just, you know, can't live up to the hype or whatever. And, and the stock very often drops after the after earnings. Not always. And again, I'm not a financial advisor, so make your own decisions. Yeah. But be wary. You know, I would say be wary. Anytime the stock has gone up, be wary of buying high because you might have so to should sell So should we be prepared to sell a few shares and then buy them back in once they, once they go bounce down a bit? Uh, well, you know, that's a possibility, but yeah, I mean, I, you know, buying, you know, trying to time the market is pretty much always not yeah, a successful okay. strategy, mm-hmm. usually. I mean, sometimes it is, but often it's not. So yeah, I, I, will make, I, mean, no, I will make no recommendations on what you should do. Yeah, but we've seen this many times before, like yep. usually before um, WWDC, the stock goes up and then, yeah. oh, they didn't introduce the next iPhone, like the new, the, you know, something as big as the original iPhone announcement. Exactly. Um, yeah, and then people jump off because like, they're just they're just on for the for the, the ride as it were right mm-hmm. speculating i guess all right and um so this next article is from our uh from bloomberg um let me see if it'll open for me yep mark german um talking about uh, how the the Mac we talked about last week with uh, James Thompson's article about you know the one button click to uh, to switch over uh, from an iOS app iPad app to um, a Mac app and his experiences with that but in this article he's also quoted about the issues around um, the fact that it seems that uh, customers will have to pay twice they have to pay for the Mac app as well as the uh, the iPad app which is in in as a developer I could see that not being a problem because it does take some effort to get the Mac app or sort of ported over to the Mac, right? I would think. 
Yeah. Had a chance to go I'm confused on that. Why would they have to pay twice if the same app runs on both? Well, this is the thing. So if you download the app, it's not like it's not like you buy an, uh, an iPhone app and an iPad and it runs on your iPad, right? That we get for free. Oh, now. I see. It's because it's in a different app store. You have to pay for it. Yeah, yeah, gotcha. Makes sense. Yeah, and yeah. and yeah. the in-app purchases may not translate over as well. That's part yeah. of the part of the article here. Yeah. Whereas in the competitor world, in Google Play Store, Android apps run on their Chromebook devices without uh, without having to. Share purchases, right? So apparently, Facebook and their Oculus app is that their Oculus, their VR headset thing, right? Right. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's that's an interesting conundrum. What do you think? Mm, I mean, it seems in the short term it's better for developers in terms of you know getting a little bit of money for the effort you're going to have to put forth. But um, longer term, I would like to see this sort of just work seamlessly. Now, I say that as somebody who's been a big uh, critic of the fact that um, Apple Watch apps could historically uh, not be charged for separately. And I know this right, is going to yeah. sound counter to that theme, but I think what I want to see is that it is seamless if you want it to be, look, whichever of my apps you install, um, you know, Jaime Lopez's Whizbang Cool app, whether you use it on Apple Watch or TV or iPhone, iPad, use it on macOS, maybe I choose to just have you pay one price for any of those. But I would also like the option to have it be completely separate if I want to. Let, let that, you know, make sense for my business if possible. I think uh, sort of by accident, we do have the pay multiple times option, but we don't as developers have the option to say, you know, just make it a seamless purchase for this whole collection. Yeah. I wonder yeah. if you can have a different pricing model on the Mac too, right? Because you can add, you can have more functionality on, on the Mac, I would think. Because mm-hmm. I mean, originally when I developed Device Tracker, I chose Core Data as my as my persistent model because at the time it had just come out on um, 10.5. What was that? Um, Tiger? So it was it was introduced at the same time on, on iOS as it was on the Mac. And, and so my idea was I would build an app that would have one sort of shared database or database structure, right? Um, and I never, Actually, I think never got around to building it. It was around for the for the Mac before it was on iOS. Yeah, I think a year or two before, right? Yeah, yeah. But it makes sense since you were developing primarily an iOS app. It made sense at the time to consider using the technology that worked on the Mac as well. Yeah, we used to have to pay separately for a Mac app, uh, like a Mac developer account too, right? Sure. Like yeah. I remember having to pay ninety nine dollars to Apple for iOS and then ninety nine dollars for the Mac mm-hmm. at least. And I think it was like two ninety nine before that for the Mac to be a Mac developer, right? So I, I mean, even though I paid the annual fee, I never actually did. <laughs> delivered an app yeah. on the Mac. Yeah, I'm too busy with iOS. I'm unclear why there are these weird financial silos in Apple's ecosystem. Like as a another example, I don't know if this is still true, but it certainly was a few years ago. Um, you could accidentally get the wrong type of gift card for Apple. Yeah, so it still happens. It's like, oh, this is an Apple retail card and that's not usable in the store, the yeah. app store and vice versa. It's like, but why? <laughs> it's money going to Apple. There's no good uh, user reason for these to be separate in any way. Now, that, that happened to me because I got some gift cards last year for my birthday and, and I was hoping to buy, use them, put them towards hardware. Um, but some of my family members bought me iTunes cards and, and so I've got this credit in my iTunes store and yet every month I get an invoice from Apple as they hit my Visa card for my iCloud. So it makes no sense. You know, I've got this credit sitting there and yet they still bill me individually for iCloud and then I can't use that those funds to, to buy a Mac. So yeah, it's totally weird. Like, any other any other organization, I'm sure you could just say, you 
know, hey, I've got this credit. Can I use it? They'd go, yeah, sure. Let's just move it over. Right? Yeah, we'll take your money however you want to give it to us. Yeah, but for some reason, Apple just doesn't seem to have that that part of uh, part figured out yet. Well, you know, since that's the only quirk or foible that we know Apple has, we could probably forgive it, right? It's the only one? It's the only yeah. one. <laughs> right, right. Did I ever tell you about the story about my, my Mac account and how Apple screwed it up from the get-go? Uh, I, went, I don't I, remember that one. So when I went to set up the... Uh, when I set up the device tracker app, I set up a Mac version and I set up an iOS version because it had different bundle IDs, right? And because um, we were developing the, the device tracker for the Mac originally. And I had to go to the iTunes store at WWDC to sort of get them to understand that what they had done was when they set up device tracker, I couldn't get push notifications working on device tracker is what it was, right? And the reason why I couldn't get it working was because they had identified my iPad app as a Mac app in their system, right? Mm. So they had to figure out how to move the bundle ID from one store to the other. And this is going back to 20, 2010, 2011, somewhere in there, right? Yeah. So that was a bit of a, that took a bit of work. So I couldn't, you know, and then, and, and to this day, and the, the irony of this, I, I never did implement the push notifications. Yeah. <laughs> but it was blocking me also from, from delivering a Mac app as well for, under the same name. Yeah, so I, I don't know, it's weird. Well, I'm, I'm actually going to try just to, for the sake of science, just poke the button on my, uh, in my Xcode to see what what happens to my app when I make it into a a, um, a catalyst app, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, what's next? This is the security foibles part of the show. Uh, mm-hmm. Probably, WTF? hopefully, you? hopefully not a regular part of this show because it'd be a very <laughs> sad commentary on the, the state of security in our industry. Uh, mm-hmm. But two stories came out coincidentally around the same time this week. Uh, the first one is related to Google. They launched their new Pixel 4 phone. And uh, one of the features, amongst many it provides, is something very similar to Face ID called Face mm-hmm. Unlock. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, it doesn't work quite as well as Face ID with regards to uh, security options. So um, it will happily unlock even if you are uh, not looking at the device. So imagine if you were asleep, (laughs) as an example. And I I know there are people out there screaming at their phones right now saying like, but I have that turned off. And like, I'm sure you do, but you have elected to reduce security for some amount of convenience, right? A lot of people are like, well, I have it, uh, I have my phone on my desk and it's flat and I don't want to have to like, you know, move my face over the device. Like I get that. Uh, In this case, uh, Google is presenting this as being like, you know, really good biometric security. You know, like, well, there's a nice little video here of uh, this um, individual from the BBC News, I want to say, who, um, you know, shows us that, like, hey, phone is locked, closes his eyes, points the phone at his face, and lo and behold, it's unlocked. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. And apparently there was uh, an option in one of the earlier betas or something or some other, um, you know, pre-release screen that people had seen that there was an option to use the uh you know, liveliness, like, is this person looking at the phone, the similar to the face ID system? Yeah, yeah. Um, but for whatever reason, uh, it did not ship to production like that. Uh, it's worth following up here immediately and saying that uh, Google is apparently working to add the ability to uh, to check that they're you know, actually gazing at the phone, but still think mm. it's pretty embarrassing from a security standpoint to launch so many years after the fact and not have that be part of your solution. Yeah, well, they had time to, to perfect their copying, right? Yeah. So are I mean, we going to talk about the fact that the Google Pixel 4 looks like the iPhone Pro at all, or...? 
It sort of does, but they took a, a sort of different approach with their multi-camera setup, didn't they? They didn't go the trypophobic route. They went the looks vaguely like a very shocked person, perhaps a person who's very shocked that their phone unlocks so easily. <laughs> right. <laughs> or actually, this, this actually does. I mean, uh, I know this is an uh, audio-only medium, but of course, we will have the link in the show notes for those of you driving at home. Um, looking at the, the little camera flash sensor area, it, it looks like the phone is screaming at you. It looks yeah. very surprised. It also sort of looks like a, a power outlet you know, with the grounding right. oh, socket. Yeah. <laughs> so, so people the grounding try, to, pin at the try to plug things into their phone to try to charge them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So does it have triple cameras? Like, does it have the ultra wide as well as the wide and telephoto? You know, I honestly don't have a super clear idea of the specs of the device um, to my eyes. And having seen some of the um, uh, like posters and image art and stuff, on the, I think it has a multi-camera system. I'd assume one of those would be telephoto. I'd assume one of them would be wide. I don't know if the other one is uh, a super duper zoom or a, I mean, wider wide. Right. So this is Google's Pixel phone. So why don't we carry on with our, our security foibles section and go talk about Samsung for a bit? Yeah. So as much crap as I'm giving Google about the Pixel 4, it gets even funnier with uh, Samsung's Galaxy S10. So they had the very, very much hyped idea of, well, you know, we can do something that's kind of like Touch ID, but instead of having to use a very particular little sensor that uh, takes up space and creates a bezel on the phone, uh, we can embed this ultrasonic technology that will detect your fingerprint through the glass. Um, right. Sounds very cool, very convenient. Um, unfortunately, when it comes to the actual implementation, if you are the kind of person who tends to use uh, screen protectors, apparently certain types of screen protectors, it's not clear to me if it's all of them, um, mm. but at least some, some commonly used ones will accidentally uh, be registered as the fingerprint. So not your actual fingerprint and you think it's yours, but actually it's like, oh, I found all these little grooves in this thing that's on the screen. That must be a fingerprint. So I'm going to use that as the identification. So now literally anybody, even your cat, I assume, could just be pressing on the screen and trigger that false detection because it's not detecting a actual fingerprint. It is detecting little grooves and defects in the screen protector as it attaches to the phone screen. Wow, that's pretty crazy. So do you, keeping in mind that everything is eventually follow-up, do you remember we talked about people trying to open their phones with a hot dog? <laughs> I don't or, remember right, that one. but yeah, I, or, or maybe the, using using the, the touch screen with a hot dog because I guess it's like a finger. Do you remember that? I don't remember that. What I remember is some follow-up where I think we'd asked a question and somebody had like followed up to us on hashtag AskMTJC with like their, their pet's nose or pet's paw or something oh, that they had registered right. yeah, through yeah. Touch ID because yeah, we were yeah. speculating as to whether that would work. Your dog's nose, yeah, or the dog's paw, yeah. or any, any uh, Yeah, but I, I, I recall that, I think when touch screens first came out, you know, but the fact that, that it, it needed the, I guess, the, what do you call it, the electrostatic energy from your finger to recognize, to, to recognize you were touching the screen. And I think there was a Japanese product where they actually put a hot dog as a stylus inside <laughs> of like a casing and you could use it to you know draw on your screen with this this hot dog stylus because so it was conductive enough because yeah that's uh, what i mean yeah yeah, yeah. that yeah i mean it, it makes sense to me um i guess holding it like a hot dog you know with your three fingers you get more dexterity out of it than trying to use your single finger right because your wrist is what's you know doing the curves and stuff with your when you're using your single finger yeah we have to, we have to look follow up on the hot dog thing i vaguely remember that 
Uh, Maybe as, it was before the show, like before we started recording the show, but I regularly remember talking about that. As another bit of, uh, of semi-real-time follow-up to this story. So just before we started recording tonight, uh, it seems that Samsung has uh, a fix ready. I think they're testing it out in South Korea at the moment. It's unclear if and when that'll actually be available elsewhere, but uh, I do want to, you know, in the sense of fairness, give the give, uh, props to the idea that they are at least fixing it. Um, both of these strike me as, as, as failures of either, how did you not consider this scenario and protect mm-hmm. against it? Or how did you not, um, you know, decide that it was not shippable unless you had this ready to roll? Right. Like I'm, I'm unclear if it's like a QA sort of problem or if it's more of a product management problem. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's funny, like, like I, I got to give props to our QA people because they come up with the craziest scenarios that I, like, who would think of putting your phone in an icebox and then trying to use it afterwards? You know, like, they don't, they don't quite do that kind of extreme, but like, you know, opening an app and letting it sit for 20 minutes and then trying to use it like that's who does that, right? I guess people do and QA people do. And so like, it's funny that the, the weirdest, weird things they catch doing that, right? But yeah, it's, this is, this is a, you know, like, cause yeah, you who's going to test the phone with like, if you were the manufacturer and your phone has got the shiny new, you know, Gorilla Glass screen and you're all proud about that, you're not going to slap a, you know, a, a, a plastic cover on it to protect screen, right, per se, right, to test it. So that's kind of a scenario that, like, I could see that not getting getting tested at all, right? I mean, I guess it seems like a, a common enough use case that they would need to test that, you know, their, um, whatever they're using for capacitance yeah, would, be would be good enough test, right? to actually even detect that, that you can actually tap on the phone and, and, and use it appropriately. And then additionally, yeah. since you have an under-the-screen fingerprint reader, like, you would think that it's like they just tested, oh, yeah, it's still unlocked something. Yes, it does. But does yeah. it not unlock when it's not supposed to unlock? You know, you got to test all those, you know, for something that's uh, supposed to be secure and is hypothetically something you're going to use for mobile payments, right? You want to make really, really darn yeah. sure that that's right. actually who that person is. Right. Well, it's, it's interesting, too. I mean, like, like I don't know if you know this or not, but I, I was, I've never been able to get touch, touch ID to work when my finger was wet, for instance. I wonder if they test scenarios like that, right? Like, if the phone's wet, does it work? And if they put scotch tape over the top of it, does it work? You know, like the crazy black hat guys do yeah i think the um cheeto fingers scenario was <laughs> a big reason that i was a proponent of face id over touch id for uh, you know even with the fact that like sometimes i'm like oh man here i am i'm like you know uh, laying down in bed and the pillow is slightly covering my cheek or something and it doesn't want to unlock and i'm very slightly inconvenienced there but i think the yeah. cheeto finger scenario is a little bit more likely of a scenario for me than the uh, oh let you know, me just adjust my out of the way sort of thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. What else you got for us story-wise? Yeah, you know, speaking of mobile payments, apparently mm-hmm. Apple Pay has uh, just overtaken Starbucks's mobile payment as the most popular way to do mobile payments in the United States. Really? Which is huh. which is interesting for Walter. One, I think there may be people out there who don't realize just how popular the mobile payment method is within Starbucks. So it's, it's not like a generalized thing. You can't go to, I don't know, Walmart or Home Depot or something and, and go pay with, with Starbucks as, as far as I'm aware. But a really common thing is like, look, if you're a regular coffee drinker and you regularly drink at Starbucks, they offer a lot of benefits to uh, using their mobile payments platform. It's basically like a fancy gift card, just an electronic gift card that you can pay with. 
Yeah. Um, in it's also worth pointing out here. It's like, oh, that's kind of weird that like Apple Pay wasn't more successful. It's like, well, Starbucks is a really, really large company if, if you really think about it. And that mobile payment platform is available on Android, iOS, and heck, for all I know, probably still Windows Phone and BlackBerry, right? Um, so and, when you consider what, that, one huge advantage of this of the Starbucks one is is that you can use it to pre-order. And if you've ever gone into a Starbucks just before work is about to start or something, and, and it's a busy yeah, one, crazy. and the line is half an hour long of people ordering their quadruple maki Jocko, whatever they are that is uh well you can you can just order through the app before you even walk in the store and it's just sitting there on the counter so you can avoid that whole line so i suspect that a big part of the mobile payment advantage is is, is because of that or the usage is because of that yeah huge incentives and in, it's available on many platforms not just um apple's platforms mm-hmm. um so it's, it's still a pretty interesting milestone and i think definitely a, yeah. uh a clue as to where financial technology is going at least within the U.S. Like I know there are people yeah. shaking their fists at their phones right now. I'm like, hey, you know, we have contact lists in our country. I'm like, I'm, I'm sure you do, but we're talking within the context of the United States here, right? Because we're yeah. we're all trying to move forward towards a um, not using cards sort of future. And, yeah. and I think this is a big one because I think uh, we really haven't talked a ton about Apple Pay from the developer side. Um, I don't think there's a ton that's new in that area, but I think uh, kind of going along with other sort of advice and like which way is the wind blowing i would think that you know if you were looking for ways to add stuff to your app to add things to your product offering i think just seamless integration with you know apple pay as a technology is going to help you out a lot well and it's interesting because in canada uh, we have tap to pay which we've been had we've had for a long time with our cards because our cards have like a, a rfid chip in them and we use near field communication to um for, at our like this thing that's showing here on the screen in the, in the shot, right? Um, so when Apple Pay came, it just piggybacked right onto that technology. So it's huge here in Canada with, with Apple Pay with your watch. And I mean, I pay with my watch all day long, right? But you're right. When I go into Starbucks, I, I tend to use the, the Starbucks money. And um, like Mark said, I you know, if I'm if I'm on the streetcar and I want to get a, get a coffee on the way home, I'll, I'll order the coffee from the streetcar, you know, uh, knowing that I'm going to get to the local store near me, right? And um, that's a lot of coffees, right? If you think about like the, the fact that Starbucks is is that much uh, further ahead in terms of usage of uh, Apple Pay, right? I wonder how that stat well, looks around the world. If you think about it, you walk through any any reasonably sized city and you see there's a Starbucks in every block. Yeah, there's more Starbucks and, than there are gas stations. Yeah, yeah, for sure, way more. Yeah, and and you know they're not uh, they're not empty. <laughs> so yeah, they're always full. There is lots of people yeah. going to Starbucks. So I do have to say though that I have I've been using Apple Pay almost exclusively now for a yeah. while, uh, and it's it's rare to find a place around here in, in Silicon Valley that doesn't take Apple Pay. There are still places, but it's it's getting rare to find them. Yeah, I do yeah. have to say, though, when I, I was just on a trip to Denver a couple of weeks ago, and it was the opposite. Now, granted, I wasn't in the city. I wasn't in downtown Denver. I was in the suburbs of Denver. Yeah. But, but it was hard to find a place that took Apple Pay. It's kind of surprising. And I was asking everywhere. Yeah, we have we have certain like bars and places like that. Some places like that don't take a tap to pay, they call it, right? Mm. Um, and I think part of that is because they probably do have to pay a percentage of each sale to to some provider, right? Um, to have for the convenience, I guess, right? But they'd have to do that for credit cards too, right? Yeah, I, no, I'm, that's what I'm saying. Maybe it's on top of that because I mean, it oh, already maybe, is a credit maybe. card sale in a sense, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Did we? T- I think we talked a couple of weeks ago about the colleague of mine from TD that wrote the article on on mobile payments, right? Did we not talk about that about the technology behind how how it works and stuff? I'm not sure we did. Like around yeah. tokenization and stuff. 
Yeah, like he he wrote an article on on he's one of the payments guys at, the, at where I work, and um, he wrote an article on or covering how the actual encryption works and how the how the the banks and and credit card companies create this sort of token and and why it's so secure and unhackable, right? And that it applies to the cards as well as the as well as technologies like Apple Pay, right? I'll have to grab a link to it and put that in the show notes. But yeah, it was an interesting article about the sort of mechanism behind that, right? I'll, I'll post it and I'll have a look at it. I might have added to the notes and just forgot to talk about it or something entirely yeah, possible um for completeness since we're talking about uh, digital payments it's probably also worth noting that uh visa mastercard discover and american express are teaming up with a um what are they calling is it click to pay yes click to pay which will be a singular button with all of those logos on there that pretty much works like the way that visas um visa checkout and mastercard's master pass payment options that you might have seen so it's it's definitely moving along in terms of like the industry sort of slowly consolidating and figuring this out from a mobile and digital payment standpoint. Um, and according to this article, Cinemark, which is for movie theaters, Movember and Rakuten are the first merchants to adopt click to pay on their websites with Bass Pro, Joanne Fabric and Papa John's, Saks Fifth Avenue, Shop.com and Tickets.com following by the end of 2019. So I'm, I'm sure a lot of folks have seen like, I don't know, pay with PayPal as an example, or uh, in some cases even pay with Venmo. Amazon Pay. Yeah, Amazon Pay, yeah, I've seen that. Eventually, we just have one big button that says Pay, I'm sure. 20 logos on it. Takes up <laughs> half the screen. <laughs> Yeah. And didn't we talk about that last week or where, um, I forget what service it was, but we just wanted, we wanted just, it just to work. Um, I remember what it was, Reddit, re- television we were talking about, right? Like just, I want to watch this show on and just make it happen. You know, whether it's Apple Pay or Disney or, or sorry, Apple TV or Disney or, it'd be nice to just walk up to, I mean, that's how money, uh, currency works in the future in Star Trek, right? They just, you're just worth some amount of money and you just walk up to a vendor and, you know, no, no gold plus plus latinum has to exchange hands right it's all virtual true true i mean there if if this was a a video medium there would be the shut up and take my money meme with yeah uh, fry from futurama you know i I don't even remember what it was he wanted to purchase but that's that's sort of the way you feel sometimes right it's like just you know just here i'm throwing money in your direction just just accept it and let me have what i want yeah i have that that image saved on my phone for morning so i can throw it out whenever i need it interesting stuff yeah so where are we on this podcast thing we're talking about open id now is that what just talked about no this uh this is the next part here so um this is news that was interesting to me just given some stuff i've been doing at work uh so apple has implemented the open id connect uh standard with their sign in with apple button so mm-hmm. to catch you up on what was happening during the beta uh for ios 13 especially right after ios 13 was available at wwdc the folks who um, work on the OpenID Connect standard, which I will talk about what that is, were like, oh, cool. It looks like this sign of the Apple button is following our standard. And then they looked at it closer and said, oh, no, it's horribly wrong in terms of it's kind of looks like our standard, but it's subtly different in um, protocol breaking ways. And also um, they had said that there were security implications for what Apple had originally uh, talked about. Uh, and, and to Apple's credit, they took to heart what was was given as feedback and they've addressed uh, pretty much, I think, all of the security issues related to what the OpenID Connect folks were talking about. Um, they haven't addressed everything that the OpenID Connect folks would like in terms of like uh, fully adopting the standard, but I think it's a really good step. Uh, so I think it's important to know here, like what even is OpenID Connect? Uh, 
why should we care as developers? What would it matter? Um, if people are familiar with OAuth, uh, more specifically OAuth 2, where you can uh, securely exchange authorization information between sites. So like, I think a pretty good canonical example with folks have talked about is like, imagine you were using Yelp and like, wow, I sure would like to invite other friends into using Yelp. And so uh, Yelp might offer a, you know, connect with Google or Facebook so we can acquire the contacts information and then let your friends know, right? Um, if you've ever used that sort of thing, the sign in with Google, sign in with Facebook sort of thing, you have used OAuth uh, sort of under the covers. And as a developer, whether you use like their SDKs or you use some other means, you were securely getting authorization information about like what sorts of things could you do. So in this case, Yelp would have said, oh, uh, hey, Google, we would like to have read access to this user's contacts. And you'd be redirected to Google. Google would say, cool, uh, who are you? Username and password, please. And you'd sign in, authenticate as yourself, and then Google would return. Uh, an access uh, token that would then let the Yelp app say, cool, now I'm going to go get this contact information and continue on with the feature. The big mm. problem uh, with OAuth 2 um, is not really a problem in the spec itself. It's just that OAuth is meant for authorization. Like, what are you allowed to do? But what it critically didn't do was answer the question of who is this user? You know, what is the authentication information? So authorization different than authentication. And that's where OpenID Connect comes in. It is is an identity layer on top of OAuth 2. Um, and in fact, for the most part, you could just think of it as OAuth 2 with like magic sprinkles, chocolate sprinkles on top. So OpenID Connect asks for a little bit of extra information, but gives to the application more information about the user. Like, what is their name? You know, how do I identify this user? Email address, phone number, birth date. There's a couple of other things. Um, and there is like a consent aspect that goes to that. So if you've ever um, connected to an app using Facebook, you know, logging in with Facebook and it takes you over to the Facebook page or, or app and it says, you know, this application would like to have access to your basic profile and maybe your friends list. Maybe it wants to know, you know, more information about, you know, your interest. And you can go in and say, yes, I consent to this or no, I'd like to remove some of these, what are called scopes. You know, what do you have access to? As I mentioned before, but the Google example of like, you know, this app can have access to read your contacts. It could have you know, access to um, make posts to your wall, that sort of thing. Where this comes together with signing with Apple is, if you recall, signing with Apple is a a way to identify the user, right? And, and Apple has added a lot of really, really cool um, privacy aspects. Like when you press the button of like, yes, I'd like to sign into this app with Apple. On the consent side, you get to choose like, yeah, you know what? I uh, I don't want to share my real email address. And we've seen the demos, right? Where Apple's like, cool, we'll give you this random garbage email address that if we ever decide like, eh, I don't want these emails anymore, like you will never receive them, right? Because like, Apple will break that connection. You will no longer be spammed. This is all where the OpenID Connect folks were like, oh, uh, since this looks like OpenID Connect with OAuth 2, but is subtly different, what you've got here now, besides the security issues that Apple had with, with their implementation, was now anybody who writes software that is used to dealing with OpenID Connect and or OAuth 2 has yet another provider that they have to write uh, plugins and adapters for versus just having something that knows how to talk to the standard. Does that make sense? It's kind of like, oh, you know, uh, most websites use HTTP, except, you know, this one website uses GTTP and uh, <laughs> it's very subtly different. And you have to use a special plugin in order to access the website. It, it'd be like that as an example. 
Right. It's just interesting, you know. We've had uh, this last last spring. Um, Canada rolled out this this service where, um, and using a, a, a service called Verified Me um, that connects all the banks together and and some government services, I believe. Right. And it's the same sort of idea as um, signing with Apple. And I wonder if I wonder if there's going to be some future where they they connect those two systems as well. Because is is signing with Apple only available in the United States right now? Do you know? Oh, I have no idea. I don't. See any particular reason why it would be? I'd assume that. Uh, yeah, I don't know, but but it was just saying that as I was reading an article here just as you were talking that, um, but I'd forgotten about this digital ID thing in Canada, right? Is that that uh, I think it had to do with because we also have a way of like when we go to our government website for taxes, it's called the CRA, the, the Canada Revenue Agency. Um, the, it's like your IRS, right? But um, when you go to sign into that, you actually can sign in and use your bank login to get in there. It's a similar kind of ID where. Um, your bank is vouching for the fact that you are the person who says that you're the person logging into the to the CRA website, right? So that's, that's kind of cool. And then and this mm-hmm. verified me thing is it's something that was put together like all the banks at the same time, the, the, ma- the major banks in Canada all got together and agreed on this one standard and and implemented it across all the uh, all their products, right? At one time. Yeah, and, and you actually mentioned something that I think is a really good example in the like financial services space that I think people will understand. Mm-hmm. So uh, Mint.com. For those not familiar, it allows you, amongst many things, to aggregate all of the different accounts you might have in like one dashboard. If you want to say like, what is my true worth or how much money do I really have available in liquid assets? And Mm. you have a a TD bank account, a simple account, a bank of America account, maybe uh, a home mortgage through Wells Fargo. Um, As far as I know, and and I don't know if this is still true, but historically mint was like, cool, we're basically using screen scraping technology to, (laughs) to do this because, um, and I know this is not true in places like the UK, but in the United States, we don't have open banking APIs um, right. in general. So if Mint wanted to connect your Bank of America or Chase bank account, they basically say, cool, uh, can you let us know your username and password? And we will log in as you um, oh, wow. scrape the information and then plug it into the dashboard. Now, there's some issues here, right? Like it, it relies on two things being true. One, that you are very, very trusting of the keys to the kingdom, your username and password in this case, mm-hmm. to... Um, um, in this case, Mint, and saying, yes, Mint, like, I trust that you won't go off and do something nefarious with that. Even if you had that layer sort of handled, the other thing that you're giving a lot of trust to is, but what if they screw it up, right? <laughs> what if they're yeah. not supposed to be logging this and they accidentally do, or they have a data breach, right? And like, oh crap, like now all my usernames and passwords for all my banking accounts are like now out in the open. Like that's that's a big reason why stuff like OAuth and OpenID Connect um, exists in why it could be really, really powerful where it would be really cool to have like, yeah, uh, I want to connect my, you know, Goldman Sachs account to Mint. Cool. Well, let me just, you know, authenticate and give the appropriate permissions using Goldman Sachs, who knows who I am, knows how to authenticate me, and I can give the proper authorization for Mint's systems to pull in my information. That'll be powerful. I I don't know how that works with related to the uh, Canadian ID thing you were talking about, but it, it would make sense to me as an implementation of like, 
hey, let's not have screen scraping go around. Yeah, that sounds pretty weird, pretty weird, yeah. Yeah, interesting stuff I, I, as, you know, all this stuff comes together. But then the other side of my panic nerve got ticked off there a minute ago when you said that, is that what if they do screw this up? <laughs> you know, like what? It, all it takes is one one goofball to, to mess up the whole house of cards, right? Yeah, all it takes is like one really well-meaning intern who accidentally in like an yeah. error scenario logs information uh, that they shouldn't be logging. Um, yeah, or leave it on their AWS service, right? Yeah, yeah. Like it, it happens, right? Like I know people are thinking about like the nefarious route uh, and, and certainly that could happen. Uh, I think with bigger, more well-known providers, you're unlikely to see that to happen. Uh, it is a factor. Mm-hmm. I'm more concerned about the like, yeah, you know, what if their implementation isn't architected in such a way that it couldn't log the information? What if they don't have uh, good analysis tools of their code base to see is this sort of thing happening? Um, what are their pull requests, uh, code review practices? Like there's a lot of individual little steps where through no malice whatsoever and through people with, um, you know, high quality of skill. But you know what? Maybe their cat died that night, or maybe they're going through a divorce, or maybe they didn't sleep really well and they didn't notice something like a single mistake could happen. And and there's potentially big ramifications, especially when we talk about things like people's financial lives. Right. right? right. Um, it's a very long-winded way of saying, like, I was geeking out on the fact that uh, sign up with Apple was, like, conforming, uh, at least to the, the most important bits of OpenID Connect and OAuth 2, which I think is really exciting, especially because of the extra really cool... Um, privacy aspects that Apple has given in their implementation of how this works. Mm. It's the future. Um, I know that all, all new apps that have third-party logins need to use sign in with Apple, and I, I don't know if they've given a due date for existing apps. Do you, do you happen to know that, Tim? Any chance? Or, no, or I don't Mark? know. I remember we talked about that around WWDC time because I think uh, Ricky had mentioned it in his coverage of uh, of uh, the app sign in with Apple thing. But uh, yeah, I, I didn't uh, don't remember the date specifically about that. Yeah, I, I feel like, you know, baseless speculation here. I feel like when Apple tends to do this sort of thing, it's either going to be in the six months after the production release of the operating system version or um, about a year afterwards. Like, we've certainly seen that with, um, you know, oh, like, you know, new apps as of this date have to start using, you know, the newest SDK. Um, and then, you know, six months later, it's like, hey, any updates to your app in the App Store now have to be built using the new SDK. Like they definitely keep things moving along. And I would not be shocked if it was, you know, March, possibly June or September of 2020, where it's like, yep, guess what? You're going to have to use sign in with Apple if you offer a third party um, sign in solution. So that, and that's Catalina and iOS 13 only, right? Sign in with Apple? It's not going to be. Oh, good question. Uh, Certainly that is true for iOS 13. I don't know what the story is for macOS, unfortunately. Hmm. I'd have to look it up. Reading a webpage here from Apple about it. Yeah. I'd, I'd be shocked if it was backwards compatible just because that's not usually the way that Apple rolls. They're like, yeah. I mean, we were just talking about this last week, right? It's like, look, 50% of y'all are already on the, the newest no operating system version, you know, a month into it. Why, why would I spend engineering resources on making it backwards compatible for like the one holdout that has a five-year-old phone that has never <laughs> updated their, their operating system, right? Like, yeah, yeah. yeah, I'm not saying it's a good thing that they do that necessarily. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. Just it is the way that they operate. Mm-hmm. It reminds you, have you called your mother recently? No. Regarding? (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, they went over my head. (laughs) She's the one holdout. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) 
He's like, oh, mom's birthday's coming up pretty soon. I guess it's time for me to slap the phone out of her hand and <laughs> into the river and buy her a new one. Here you go. Happy birthday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm sure your mother's a you know, techno wizard, you know. Anyway, have we talked about WeWork at all on this show? Yeah, we talked about it pretty extensively a couple of weeks ago, right? Yeah. So did you hear that they, they just got, they were I guess they were going down and they just got bought by a Japanese company? They got bought by SoftBank? SoftBank, SoftBank was yeah, a big yeah. investor in them. Yeah. They, they got, they got. Well, it was an investor, or they they're taking over. I think that's what I kind of read well, a while ago. Uh, it, maybe so. That that would be in the last couple of days, right? That happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they were uh, to to catch things up. If it wasn't covered, they had submitted. I think their S one document, which is a predecessor sort of document to you know IPO activities, initial public offering on the public mm-hmm. stock market. Uh, there's a lot of really interesting and potentially embarrassing information about the company that came out um, as part of the sort of legal obligations of filling out that S1 document. Ouch, yeah. And the valuation or the expected valuation of WeWork just kept going down and down and uh, SoftBank, the uh, the aforementioned SoftBank's venture capital side um, out of Japan, uh, funded by Saudi Arabian money, if I'm not mistaken, um, was uh, like really hugely, but like like $5 billion invested or something huge of that amount like into this The number company. they revealed today is nine. Nine point five billion. Oh, there we go. They, so the the we're talking about like, well, maybe For we could buy spend. buy out shares, you know, because the the founder uh, CEO had uh, like hugely vast controlling majority share, and think he had been removed from either CEO ship yeah. or owner or, or or the board, and then now they've basically bought out the other side, and he gets like a billion ish dollars personally. 1. And they're going to give him billion. There you go. Oh, okay, almost two billion dollars. <laughs> money and they give him um, like a $500 million loan for reasons. I'm not sure. And also he is um, getting some sort of like consultants fee in the few hundred million dollar range. Yeah, it's and very, no very role, strange. No future role thing. it says here. Yeah. yeah. WeWork is one of those weird ones where they're, so they, you know, they run a whole bunch of uh, co-working places, really, really nice places. Hot desks, I guess they're called. Well, hot desks, they also have, uh, you can buy like basically like your own little office for rent. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, of varying sizes. So as your team grows, you're, I think you pay month to month. So you, it's not like you're, you know, oh crap, we have to figure out how many people are going to need for this six month or 18 month lease, you know, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they rapidly grew, you know, I think arguably a pretty good, if somewhat premium product that they were offering, but it never really made sense to me as somebody who's admittedly not a venture capitalist. So not fully qualified <laughs> or qualified at all to talk mm-hmm. about this. Mm-hmm. Like that. But it sort mm-hmm. of seemed to me like, why is this company being valued at such a high like tech company sort of thing when it's to my mind a really office, really nice office space, rental right? property company right <laughs> like yeah. you're literally rent seekers with all yeah. of the you know uh stigma that comes with that sort of phrase well i guess it's because they're a tech startup right but, but based on what like what what exactly like at least we can say well uber well you know there's a lot of tech that goes into the yeah uh, the matchmaking and route optimizations and stuff like yeah can you can you pay for we work rental with like apple pay like just as a you know uh, as a snark and, and, and being on theme of what we've been talking about this episode. I, I have no idea. You know? Yeah. I know. Hit us up. Hashtag AskMTJC on Twitter. 
Oh, I see. Yeah, the five hundred dollar, five hundred million loan. Wow. So they pulled their IPO. That means that they didn't go public. That's correct. So they're staying private for the moment. Wow. We'll, we'll, we'll see what what happens. The uh, that's why I think a lot of companies have, have delayed their uh, IPO. You know, for like a much longer period of time than like you think back to like first dot com boom. It's like you've been around for a little while, like less than five years. You probably IPO'd, right? Mm-hmm. You were like Netscape or you know Pets dot com that sort of thing. Uh, and then now in the modern era, you have uh, Uber and Lyft. Um, who else is that? Well, those are some of the ones who like had been private for like 10 years, right? Like the, the whole sort of market around that has changed. And the, the information that comes out uh, for that regulatory filing that I mentioned, the S1 document, mm-hmm. like uh, there are like a lot of weird caveats that people will put because it's a document that is supposed to lay out your whole company like completely bare. And a big thing that people look at is, you know, what are the possible things that could cause your company to just crumble to dust? And companies have gotten pretty good about putting like, you know, in my opinion, sort of silly things in there. It's like, well, you know, if there is this war that happens and aliens invade and then, you know, swine flu 2.0 takes over the world, like, yeah, then we might not get, you know, as great organic, you know, user uptake as, as we would normally want. And that'll impact our revenues. Like they put it in there to cover every possible base, right? Really CYA cover your butt sort of thing for like nobody could possibly sue us and win if it's like ah well i didn't know because you didn't disclose this potential thing and i invested money and now i lost money and now i'm going to sue you right that's that's the idea mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. but in this case people were digging into the we work valuation and saying like whoa with all these like actual legit problems and, and risk factors they have there's no way they could be worth as much money as they were expecting to get at ipo and that's i think why their valuation expectations kept going down and down and SoftBank apparently was like, whoa, 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 we need to stop the bleeding. <laughs> like, we need to make sure that we like don't lose money on this this thing because we would spend so much in there. Interesting stuff. Well, I guess we're at the picks part of our show. So how many do you have a pick? I do. And it is uh, on theme, pun intended, okay. with, uh, with the season because by the time this episode comes out, it will be really, really close to Halloween mm-hmm. here. And uh, I've been using the Dracula theme, which is what we'll have in the show notes here is my pick uh, for visual studio code um, it is compatible with 50 other apps including slack and apparently xcode i need to try that out using terminal vim sublime just about anything that takes in text themes uh, and to my eyes since i do like dark mode and i've been using the midnight theme in xcode since like 2011 2012 time frame mm-hmm. when i moved over to use visual studio code uh to do a lot more of my sort of, uh, javascript node.js and npm related work uh, in my day job i said you know what i'm not super happy with the default dark mode ish theme that visual studio code comes with i wonder if there's anything out there and i landed on dracula which to my eyes has uh, a really nice pleasant dark mode theme mm-hmm. so there you go dracula try it out if you like it let me know if not that's all right so the link you have here is just on visual code studio, visual studio code but can you said you can get it for um xcode and things like that as well yeah and i don't have a lot of information on how to do it. let me see let me choose here's repository on github there we go code editors xcode so looks like you can install using git so you could stay up to up to date or you can install manually by downloading um, from github.zip download and then creating the custom themes folder in your library developer xcode user data font and color themes and and then dragging the um, 
looks like it's a dots xc color theme file that has dracula in the name to that folder yes, i've not tried an xcode to see what it looks like but i you know i i i might do it i'm not sure i don't know like i really do like the highlighting for markdown and the way it looks for um uh, javascript and html files i haven't looked at it to see what it will look like for swift and objective c files and, and as i mentioned right. since i've been using midnight for so long like i kind of know what a color means and it might mess with my brain to say oh yeah now a string looks like this or now um, a variable declaration looks like that mm-hmm. so I, I just looked at their I went to the dracula github page here and i've seen i've seen a, i found a page, section that has all the different themes for different apps so there's one for alfred one for adam one for bb edit um, chrome DevTools, emacs uh, iterm JetBrains. so i'm just reading through the list here uh, i don't see echoed but yeah there's sql pro sublime again terminal <laughs> terminal app uh, vim oh it's xcode here yeah and yeah so you can get it from their from their uh, dracula theme on under the uh, dracula github page cool if you're into that kind of thing if you like dark mode like i do i think you'll <laughs> appreciate it if, if you don't it is 100 not for you if you're a light mode user because everything is dark and yeah i'm getting used to it it's it's taken taken a while it's still you know it's funny though when you look at a like it's kind of shocking when you open up a web page that doesn't support dark mode but then it, it's surprising when you you do go to one that does support like um i think ns hipster supports dark mode right yeah of <laughs> and, and i'm really really jazzed at it. if you ever have a chance to go check out stripes documentation and mm-hmm. they have a little toggle where you can toggle between dark mode and light mode and it as far as i can tell respects what your operating system has by default so I, i'm mm-hmm. a dark mode user so it launched into dark mode but i could also say you know even if i am a dark mode user i want to see this site in light mode which i think was pretty cool and pretty well appreciated cool all right so my pick is kind of well it's kind of uh um i just bought pixelmator pro which was the i think it was the mac app uh, that won the awards in 2018 at, at the design design awards uh, at wwc but uh, they've just done a major update to their app and uh, they're offering it for half price so in the u.s i think it's 19 dollars. a little bit more here in canada um but what's interesting about it is it supports catalina because it's got dark mode built in and it also supports the new mac pro and the new what's the giant display called the um, what's that new display called from Apple with the dongle? I don't know. Does it have a specific name? Yeah. It's, like the yeah. cinema display used to have a fancy name? Yeah. It's, hang on. Let's look it up here. Apple.com. Do, 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 do. Um, Mac Pro Display XDR. So if you're rocking the Pro X, Pro Display XDR, you can run Pixelmator Pro on it without issue. Or I guess it's a, it's a super retina display or something like that, right? Yeah, I've had Pixelmator for a long time. Yeah. Uh, and I, like I, it. I, I never, never updated to Pixelmator Pro because I don't use it enough but this is on the mac or on the mac yeah okay yep. yeah well, like i said i just downloaded it before the show I, I i don't know when the sale's over but uh by the time this show comes out it'll probably still be on sale so jump on that if you're interested i mean i'm always looking for things alter- alternative to photoshop and of course right so, so i'll give it a try see how it works out uh, interestingly enough i just opened pixelmator and yeah. the first thing i see is a splash screen saying upgrade to pixelmator pro with 50 percent off <laughs> there you go so you have the regular pixelmator right regular pixelmator yep right and i guess how would you know what what difference there is right i don't really know oh well they're telling me everything you love about pixelmator and a whole lot more mm-hmm. with a wide range of improvements to existing tools and some incredible new ones every aspect of the pixelmator image editing experience has been refined and improved oh, okay let's give it a shot does it have bezier tools in it do you know yeah it does, it does. Yeah. yeah the only weird thing about it is all the tools are on the right hand side whereas photoshop they're on the left hand side can i change mm-hmm. that don't know uh, i would hope they can change it the preferences you can have dark or light mode you can set the dark mode light mode automatically 
me. Hmm. All right. Well, another another tool to play around with and see how this does for me, what it wants me to do. Okay, cool. So, Mark, you got a pick? I don't have a pick this week. No pick. All right. So I've got, since you went with the, the shadow pick route, very oh, okay. Gregory Archibald healed yeah. style. Um, oh, I see. Look at this. It, it brought to mind one that I've thrown in as an unintentional shadow pick, and that is oh. uh, madewiththis.com. Mm-hmm. I've heard of that. From a friend of the show and sometimes guest host, Tammy Coron. Yeah. Who, uh, let me read the something from the about page. I didn't know a lot of what was going on here. So it is uh, collections of things that people have made. Could be mm-hmm. uh, in the software space, could be uh, frameworks could be, um, I think, art-related stuff. Um, sort of starting a new community. So if you think of something like, uh, I don't know, Dribble sort of comes to mind, where mm-hmm. uh, these community spaces where creative people can share their work and have other people look at it. Um, conceptually, it's kind of like that. But uh, as mentioned here, um, it's meant to be positive. So mm-hmm. like, don't expect it to be like a huge you know, chain of commentary of like, oh, this thing sucks. No, you're an idiot for thinking it sucks. You suck. You know, like you're not going to see that. That's that's definitely not uh, not Tammy's style, and it's it seems like that's not the style of uh, MadeWithUs.com. Uh, mm-hmm. Nor is it following, I think, into the trap of like, hey, like how many views did I get? How many likes did I get? Uh, so it's kind of a different approach to that, which I think is cool. And of course, I immediately made a beeline towards collections, and mm-hmm. I said, cool podcasts. What is in podcasts? Oh, yeah. And was was happy to see Roundabout Creative Chaos, uh, a show that you and and Tammy host mm-hmm. uh, in there. And very sad to see that more than just code is not in there. So I'm just about to put it in, actually. Yeah, we're going to have to contribute there. But. <laughs> cool. I'm typing yeah, as so, we speak. Uh, I'll give Tammy a little bit of crap about this because she's like, oh, it's shameless self-promotion. I'm like, you got to come on the show and promote it for it to be shameless self-promotion. Now I'm the one promoting it. It's not shameless yeah. anymore. Yeah. Well, there you go. All right. Well, I guess that's it for another week. So, hey, Jaime, if people want to get in touch with you on the interwebs, wherever they look. I'm on Twitter as at Dev of the Hair. And Mark, if you want to get in touch with you. MarkArd.com. Uh, cool. All right. My name is Tim Mitra, T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A on the Twitter machine is where you'll find me. And until next time, we'll say bye-bye. Bye-bye. This has been another episode of the More Than Just Code podcast. If you want to find out more about the show, you can visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. There you can find a summary and show notes of each episode. We list links to the apps, code, and news that we mentioned on the show. If you like the podcast, tell your friends. Please leave a comment on the website, and if you can, please write a review on iTunes. And please recommend us in your favorite podcatcher. All of these things help others find out about the show. We really appreciate your help with spreading the word. We're also on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We'd love to hear from you, so use the hashtag AskMTJC. Once again, the podcast Twitter account is at MTJC underscore podcast. Please consider supporting the show by pledging any amount on patreon.com slash MTJC. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time. Indeed. So, so I saw Steve Hackett uh, on Sunday night. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You mentioned that. Yeah. yeah. It was pretty awesome. Yeah. Have you seen the store? Yes, I saw that just a month ago, a month before you. Yeah, yeah, it was great. First half mm-hmm. was all solo stuff, a lot of spectral mornings. Second mm-hmm. half was selling England by the pound straight through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very, very nice, very tasty. And then he did a, a sort of a thing afterwards. Yeah, I forget what it's called. Uh,
a couple of songs. Medley? From, um, yeah. Yeah, Los Endos and... Sort of a lot. It was Los Endos, but it's sort of his own take on it. Well, there was some other stuff mixed in. There yeah. There was stuff yeah. from uh, Till We Have Faces in there as well. Yeah. Yeah. yeah there was, I think it's listed on the set list, if you haven't already gone over there. Yeah. Yeah. Myopia. Hmm? Myopia is a song. Oh, yeah. Cool. So I'm coming close to the end of my summer of concerts. This has been a pretty amazing summer in terms of shows. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I see... There's one more show. I guess it's technically not summer anymore, but I see one more show in a few weeks. And after that, I'll, I'll have gone to 12 concerts this year. That's a lot. Hmm. Like one a month. Yeah. That's pretty cool. And it was all mm. in the summertime, Mostly. more or less. Yeah, so. pretty much. Yeah. Pretty much all. Yeah. <sighs> but I'm, I'm a little a little worried that uh, that it was kind of the last hurrah because most of the bands I like might not be touring anymore after, right, after right. this year. Getting kind of old. I watched the uh, Eric Clapton uh, documentary on, it's a movie, I guess it was made, but it's on, on the Netflix, I think, or was it, maybe it was on something else, but uh, yeah, it was interesting. Have you seen that one, Mark? Which one? There are a few of them. Well, it's, this is, um, I have to look up the name, oh, actually, I've got it on my phone, hang on. It came out a couple of, a couple of three years ago, yeah, but a whole lot of things I didn't know about, uh, about Eric, Mr. Clapton there. Mm. Yeah. Okay, I, I don't know how I didn't know his his kid died in uh, New York City. Oh, you didn't know that? Yeah, that was the... Well, I, knew, uh... I knew he died, but I didn't... I thought it was like at home or something, right? Fell out of a window of a building. Yeah. All building, yeah. yeah. And you know, like it was kind of, he had that period there where he was, you know, into, into drugs and then alcohol followed sure. that, right? So he's had a rough life. Yeah. No, I, well, I mean, he had a rough life, like from a, from a family point of view too. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. Like a lot of those guys, you know, John Lennon had, was a missing a parent, Paul McCartney, you know, Roger Waters has had a rough life. Um, Eric, um, Pete Townsend. Amazing, eh? So I won't say it gives weight to the argument that, uh, brilliant artists, get that way because of the suffering that they because of the suffering right, right or the, or they just can't draw a spaniel a mark, or I, mean, I thought it was a pirate pirate and a turtle isn't that what you're supposed to the, draw the, to prove you're an Ed, artist Edvard you can draw monk? this pirate talking about the Edward monk painting right that you saw, oh, you saw yeah. on <laughs> that's right i forgot i had uh, brought your attention to the uh, the scream spaniel yeah i had to actually go back and look at look at the original scream because it was so compelling that that it could have been possibly a spaniel badly drawn spaniel yeah who knows but then in that whole thread there was a whole lot of uh, weird paintings there anyway the name of this movie is letterbox I'm using this letterbox app app to uh, keep track of movies i have seen recently once i figure out where my diary is so, uh, Eric, uh, Life in 12 Bars. Hmm. Eric Clapton, Life in 12 Bars. You haven't seen that one? I'm not sure if I have or not. I've seen some Clapton documentaries. I don't know if I've seen that one, though. Yeah, so I don't know if it means 12 bars, like in 12-bar blues, or 12 bars that he frequented during the, during the period <laughs> of his life. I think it means 12-bar blues. <laughs> oh, okay, just just checking. Yeah, just checking. Yeah. But it's an interesting so, pun. Yeah, so I, I don't know if you guys heard, but Monday was a really exciting night here in Canada. You had an election or something? Yeah, no, I got Star Wars tickets. Oh. That was what was exciting. <laughs> Come on, work with me here. Yeah. Did you get your tickets? No, no Star Wars tickets for you guys. Asking? No, I no. Um, I, I I did not because I was traveling during the time that they became available, and mm-hmm. I will also be traveling around the time that it opens. So I may have to do it on a day two sort of thing. Oh no! Yeah, I know. I'm going to have to disconnect from the internet for about 24 hours, maybe 48 hour time period. Yeah. So you factor in the United Kingdom's release. I think is early again. Oh, are you are you over there? No, no. But just you know, unless I put. Uh, some sort of Twitter block that says "Don't let anybody from the United Kingdom yeah. into my Twitter feed." Yeah. Well, I was in I was in Hawaii on a family vacation when I went and saw Endgame. I, had, I went by myself to a theater in the middle of nowhere to watch that, so I could enjoy the Twitter verse and things. And also, I wanted to see the movie. Yep. Anyway, looking forward to that. Christmas comes early. Um, actually, yeah, really early. It's like a, it's like four days before Christmas or something like that, right? Now I think about it. For those of us who you know celebrate the pagan holiday of Christmas, 
I was uh, in Dallas this weekend. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and the, the big reason for, for that, because it was um, taking my mom to, she had acquired some tickets to the Dallas Cowboys versus mm-hmm. the Philadelphia Eagles game. So yeah. we were yeah. there for, for Sunday night. Yeah. Flew, I flew her out, flew myself out. And uh, we, we enjoyed the Jerry World or AT&T Stadium, as most people refer to it. So and, uh, much better game than last week's game, I think, against the Jets, right? Yeah, you know, I'm not a religious person, but I'm like, you know, I might as well cover my bases. I uh, made a deal. I said, look, they don't have to win any other game this season, but please let them win this game when my mom is there to make her happy. <laughs> yeah, And they did. Okay. <laughs> and in surprisingly okay. uh, convincing fashion. So I don't know. Well, there is a game coming up in a few weeks that the two of us will have to have some words about uh if you know what i'm talking about uh let's see it's the bye week this week so what is that Baseball. is it uh, a couple weeks from now it's it's actually it's more like four or five weeks but uh the cowboys will be in foxborough to play the patriots oh man that's kind of late in the year to be going over there yeah it'll be cold like that it'll be cold. i don't like that matchup either way especially in the cold yeah yeah, yeah like can- be... canadian football is played in the snow sometimes so is american football all right same yeah true you, you, i definitely think of more like uh the the frozen tundra in Lambeau Field in Green Bay or right. Chicago or Buffalo. I, yeah, yeah. Hmm. Buffalo's pretty close to you, Tim. Right? Yeah, yeah. The, are, the Buffalo Bills are sort of unofficial NFL team. Yeah. yeah. They're actually pretty good this year. Yeah. Yeah, they're 5 and 1. Uh they have the uh the misfortune of course of being in the same division as the Patriots, so so it'll be tough mm-hmm. for them to win the division, but they still might make the playoffs. Hmm. Yeah, they're looking pretty good. They got cool. a kind of a relatively new young quarterback who's who's be good. There was a tornado that weekend that we were there. Um hmm. We were staying in Arlington, which is a suburb close to the stadium, uh, away from Dallas, maybe 20 minutes away from Dallas. But northern Dallas got hit by a pretty big tornado when we were there. I was like, oh, is that why it got really windy and rainy and the DirecTV didn't stop working at the hotel? I was like, so what kind of crap place did I pay for? <laughs> DirecTV doesn't work. And I woke up the next day. I was like, oh, the news is talking about a tornado. Did we live through a tornado? What happened there? Yeah, it was, uh, it was pretty cool going to Jerry, uh, Jerry World. It was uh, it looks like it's worth a lot of money. Like um, going on the the. We also did the VIP stadium tour uh, the day after the game, nice. where they take you around the different areas. Got a chance to see, like you know, go into the little perch they call it, the little uh, private box that Jerry Jones and his sons sit in for part of the game, and uh, see the locker rooms and stuff. Um, go go out in the field, which was pretty cool to cool. do. Yeah, ran a ran a couple routes to see what would that feel like. You know, imagine what you were like, and you realize. The game winning uh, there's a reason why you're not a pro football player. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, these guys, you know, they run the 40 yard dash in like 4.2 seconds. I'm like, there's no and, way. And they weigh 300 pounds while doing it. Yeah. 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 Uh, I don't know if I ran, you know, the 10 yard out route that I ran, which is probably like 15 yards total. Um, I don't think I ran that in four seconds. So <laughs> it's definitely yeah, I've never been to the new humbling. stadium. I've been to the old Cowboy Stadium, which was kind of a kind of a pit, right? Oh yeah, it's got that that old uh, '60s charm yeah, to it that it had. Yeah, yeah, very very basic. No, this is super modern. You know, the mega huge um, uh, jumbotron displays that they have, mm-hmm. and the the scale of everything is so off. Like I've probably talked to you guys about like if you're ever in the Seattle area and you want to feel like a seven. Boeing 747 is small. Go take the Everett factory tour mm. because the scale is so thrown off. You're like, oh, that doesn't look that big from a distance. And you get close. Like, oh, God, th- th- that plane is big mm. just because everything's big around it. And when you see stuff in the stadium and the, the tour guide's like, yeah, uh, those little letters that say AT&T Stadium on top of the um, – 
the big displays. Uh, those are six feet tall. And I would not have guessed that they were that big because they don't look that big. Or you see those speakers that are there that, um, you know, give the, the audio broadcast sort of stuff. Uh, that's the size of a bus. You know, they're like, what? It doesn't look, it looks like just like a normal size speaker that you'd have in your house. Oh. All right. Um, and apparently the big arches that are sort of like the main skeleton for the, the stuff that holds up the dome in the stadium, um, the distance that it travels is the size of the Empire State Building in New York because it's, you know, big, long arc and it goes like 72 feet into the ground to stabilize everything. Wow. You you weren't kidding about Apple, Tim. I, I hadn't paid attention a couple of days. It's up to 243 today. Is it? Yeah. Whoa. An all-time high. Is that the highest it's ever been? That's the highest it's ever been. Wow. Wow. So something that's come to my attention over a period of time mm-hmm. is I've had uh, at least five people mm-hmm. from all over the world and interwebs and stuff tell me personally that they get me and Mark confused uh, voice-wise really? on the podcast from time to time. Oh, really? interesting. So, yeah. So, yeah, so Tim, you're, you're you, in the right channel and Mark is in the center and I'm on the left. So how's, how's that possible? I mean, nobody, <laughs> you're <laughs> assuming that they're listening through like a stereo system and they don't just have it <laughs> or, coming or that out they're of they're paying one that much attention. <laughs> yeah. 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 While they're walking their dog or, or using the lawnmower, that, that's putting a lot of, like, I'm sure the audio files and the, like the super fans know that. Um, I didn't even know that. But why, like, why would they mix you guys up? Because you're American and you got those American accents? Yeah, all so. Americans sound the same, apparently. Um, no, um, I don't know. I, I obviously don't think that my voice sounds like Mark's. And Mark, it doesn't. I, I, you don't I don't think, think it sounds like yours. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but apparently there are folks who, enough for it to be like, oh, um, yeah, Americans and uh, British folks have told me. So it's not, it huh. couldn't possibly be just accent really? related. Huh. So I'm like, oh, that's... We'll have to get that's a couple of new hosts then, I guess, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's your extensive knowledge of semiconductor physics that's throwing people that off. That must be it, yeah. Right, <laughs> right, right. Exactly. Mark, the only the only opportunity here is for both of us to lean really heavily into our respective home region's accents. So you guys right. sound like Mayor Quimby or JFK, and I have to sound like Lyndon B. Johnson <laughs> or George W. Bush there you go. to differentiate our voices. When you say conference, right? I say conference, you say you almost say conference. Say conference? By me. Oh, me? Conference? Yeah. Sometimes sometimes you get a, you get a bit of a twang in your in when you say conference. Conference get a little a little I'm, southern. I've never heard you say conference. Sorry, Tim. It's entirely well, possible. It's, it's, not, it's not outside of You don't listen to this show anyway, Mark. So how could you? How does your, your evidence? <laughs> I, I listen to it every single time while we're recording it. <laughs> <laughs> every single time. Well, you know, I don't listen to it while we're recording it, so I don't believe that to be true. <laughs> Have you not noticed that over the years? <laughs> On occasion. <laughs> Uh-huh. Yeah, I, I can imagine, Tim, just given how often or how many times, I should say, you listen to any particular episode yeah. while you're doing the, the editing, I imagine that you probably do pick up on a lot of things that the rest of us don't. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. Tim, how was, um, you probably just had Canadian Thanksgiving, right? Oh, I guess that was, I should have asked you last recording. What's that? Canadian Thanksgiving was on the 14th. I thought it was this week. No, it was a while ago. Hmm. It was Turkey. Turkeys were ha- Turkeys was had. So do you have a, obviously you don't have the same pilgrim story that we tell, but is there a similar type of story that is associated with Canadian Thanksgiving? What about like Plymouth Rock and stuff? Yeah. No. No? <laughs> no, I don't think so. I don't think there's any story. Okay. I think it was, you know, how, um, oh, uh, I heard a Canadian joke the other day. I, so apparently you can ask Alexa uh, jokes. And so, so the thing was suggested was ask her a Canadian joke, right? So I asked her a Canadian joke. She said, who's the most pleasable or who's the most pleasant um, hockey player? The always fresh Tim Hortons. 
That one goes over my head. <laughs> well, like, yeah. I get how to stitch it together, but I'm like, mm-hmm. was this subtly an ad? You know, <laughs> well, they always, always say the fresh, always but, fresh, right? That's the always fresh Tim Hortons. I'm like, mm. Yeah, well, I guess you have to know, too. Pumpkin Spice Latte, 50-cent yeah. coupon, also mentioned during this joke. Tim you know, bits, like, bits are fresh, yes. Yeah, I, I don't think I sent this to you guys, but I, I had seen some article about this um, huge amount of bacon that is sitting in National Reserve's Mm-hmm. here in the u.s because i think they were trying to produce more thinking that this whole trade war between the u.s and china would blow over but it hasn't so now they have all this excess bacon sitting around in refrigerators somewhere i could not help but think of like oh this is our strategic reserve of bacon that we have here strategic reserve yeah 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 strategic reserve i, I, I had too much fun with that one yeah and i um, found that article I was talking about the thing that talks about cards um, I'm going to paste it here so you can see it. It's more about, he's talking about this this looming Y2K movement that's coming to payment card technologies. But what was interesting was he does talk about the way that uh, digitization works. No, where is it? Where is the article gone? The looming EMV Y2K moment. Oh, that's not good. That is really close. The anticipated lifetime of RSA, I'm going to call this 1984-bit key size, mm-hmm. would only be until the end of year 2027. Right. Where did you post this? It's in the bottom of the show notes. Just before picks, I think. Is this the one we talked about it? Uh, no, this isn't an article. This is not the one that talks about how the, how the payment card stuff works. Sorry. Sorry. But yeah, I did, I did read this one. No, but this is a pretty bummer one of like, oh, surprise, the EMV chip stuff is going to need some work by mm-hmm. the financial technology sector. Get this stuff ready to handle beyond 2027 that's a long time <laughs> so it would be for like you know technology companies silicon valley style startup life um it strikes me as a little bit too close for for my comfort when it comes to financial services sector yeah they'll lose money if they don't do it they'll move fast that that'll be a, a spur to action for sure yep mm-hmm in terms of other, well, we don't have to record this part, but I I know it's too late now because y'all had your election stuff. But uh, you should go check out Hassan Minaj's uh, Patriot Act episode on on Canada and Trudeau um, oh, yeah. on Netflix. Oh yeah, because it was pretty insightful to me. I, mean, I was kind of curious to get a, a Canadian's perspective. So so maybe maybe on the watch list for next time. Mm, okay. Mm-hmm. What's his name? Hassan Minaj. Oh, okay. he, you probably saw him on uh, the Daily Show. Maybe. Mm-hmm. It, look, look for Patriot Act on okay. uh, on Netflix and. It's like one of the most recent episodes in the, the most recent season. Mm-hmm. All right, I got to go find some aspirin because my head's killing me. Uh, all right. Bye. All righty. Go Talk better. to you later. Okay. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye.